Minded and also lazy. So what it boils down to is this. <clears throat> Used to, I would boil it on the stove like a proper southern woman. That's what we do. But I burn like five pans because I would walk away and leave the tea and it would burn and it would be terrible. It was terrible. It was a terribly expensive habit. <clears throat> so I started putting water in the microwave for six minutes and then pouring it over tea bags in my little craft thing that I use for my tea, and then I just put it in the refrigerator and walk away. Because that way I don't have to worry about it. Of course, what it boils down to is that my tea is so strong that it looks like coffee. And no one in my family but me will drink it, which is great because that way I don't have to share because I don't really appreciate sharing. I'm not that person who shares at all. I'm not at my computer if the noise didn't give that away. So if you've asked any questions, per my request, I'm not seeing them, but I will. Today, I found a whole stack of notebooks filled with plot ideas for various stories. I found the outline that I made for Lantean Legacy Book 2, which I believe I was calling Beck in the Dark which sounds very dramatic and weird. But there we go. I don't have any coffee. It's a fucking travesty. I took a nap today, as Lady Holder told on me in the chat room earlier before the show began. Um, I've had a headache for about a month. I don't know, a month? A, really a month. It's just been terrible. It's, it's just been a terrible headache. It's, it's been, I've had it since I was 20. I don't know. It's just... That's how bad it is. I've just had this headache for so long. It's just like it's never going to go away. Anyways, okay, now I'm back at my desk, and Original Tempest has a question, and this question is, if someone were to write a custom-made tale just for you, would you like to read it? This is actually... I've gotten several of these in my email already. I always read them. Sometimes they freak me out. Sometimes they're interesting. And, but I'm always very gracious about it. So, yes, I would be perfectly fine with that. Um, I especially like gay porn, just for your FYI. Um, I don't make a habit of asking people to write me specific stories because that seems like uh, I think I think that comes precariously close to ghostwriting and I'm not that person who asked for that kind of thing. Uh yeah, but gay porn works. I appreciate gay porn a lot. 
I uh, have no topic. I have no topic. The husband and I saw Lucy today, and I went into the theater wanting to like it. I really did. I really wanted to to like this movie. Um, I didn't like it at all. I mean, really. And I'm not sure if it was the story or the editing. I mean, Scarlett Johansson's fine. She always is, and you know, she's you know she's interesting. I like the way she talks. I uh, like the way she looks. Um, was it the fake science? No, fake science doesn't bother me because I'm a science fiction fan, and nine times out of ten, any science you're going to find in science fiction is fake, and I'm perfectly okay with that. I have no I have no problem whatsoever separating fiction from reality. And often, I actually prefer my fiction to be as far removed from reality as possible, which is why I prefer science fiction and fantasy um, in fandom. Just, you know, per se. Um, And I don't know, I mean, there's a lot of theories about brain power and, and brain potential and all that stuff. So I don't know how fake the science was, because all of it is is conjecture. The brain is such a mystery, and it will remain a mystery throughout my lifetime. I don't believe that we're going to unlock the potential of the human brain anytime soon. So it doesn't matter. But no, that wasn't it. I think it was the editing. I it was weird. It, it was trying to be a science fiction movie. And it was trying to be a suspense or maybe an adventure. And it was also trying to be one of those art house movies with, with weird images edited into it. Was, it was stupid. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm trying to get around saying it. And it's not, and it, it isn't even, like I said, it isn't the, the, the fake junk science or whatever you want to call it. It isn't that. It wasn't Scarlett Johansson. It was just, it was badly edited. It just wasn't put together correctly. Um, Was it trying too hard? No, it wasn't trying too hard. I don't think it tried hard enough. We didn't get a whole story. We got like, and this goes back to the story mechanics I was talking about um, during Rough Trade. I felt like I got half a story. I didn't get a whole story. And I really believe that's a matter of editing. Um, I felt cheated, like I didn't get the whole thing. Like there's something, like there were parts of it that were taken out that, I, that I'm, so, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, it was a really frustrating experience. And also, I went into it, even though I wanted to like it, I also really wanted to see Guardians of the Galaxy, and I didn't get to fucking see Guardians of the Galaxy, and I had to see Lucy instead, because my husband used his one veto of the year to veto Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know what the fuck his problem is, but we're going to be working on that. See, one of the ways that you live with a man planning his murder is to give him some small bit of control. So sometimes I let him have his way, and today I let him have his way, and I had to watch Lucy. 
when all I really wanted to watch was Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm very disappointed. But I feel like I've separated that disappointment, this disappointment, from my reaction to the movie Lucy. He actually enjoyed Lucy, but I think it's just because he has a boner for Scarlett Johansson, and who doesn't? I mean, even I've got a boner for Scarlett Johansson. So, you know, I think that she could have been doing anything, and he would have been okay with it. Um, so, you know, we we can't take his opinion seriously. Because it's coming from his dick. So she is hot. I ain't going to lie. She's, she's very attractive. I have my dashboard. Where's my dashboard? Okay. Anyways. Oh, I can go watch Guardians of the Galaxy anytime I want to. But today, we were going to the theater, and he picked the movie. So I got stuck with what I got stuck with. So it's just, you know, I'm just bitching. So I'm I'm just bitching. I, uh, Just bitching. I went to we went to Target before at before we picked up dinner, and um, there was this lady in Target, and uh, she was um, following my husband around. And I don't think she realized we were together because we separated to buy stuff. She was looking at his butt, and I don't blame her. He has a cute butt. And I'm on, I have a little bit of PMS, and so I had to really work on my reaction because I I honestly wanted to stab her in the head. So I had to um I had to work on that. Uh in the middle of the target. And, you know, I was mostly successful. I just gave her some ugly looks. I didn't actually, you know, stab her in the head. I just glared at her. And women in my family have PhDs in dirty looks, so I'm pretty sure she she recognized that she was uh, she was in trouble. She was encroaching. <clears throat> but so no, I have I had no topic. I um, I, w- I went through my notebooks and I was looking at um, the various things, and I'm I'm not so much burned out on writing, um, so I'm, I'm not blocked or anything. It's just that I, I'm, I'm moving between projects. I opened up ten different, ten different story documents today and, and worked on them and individually. So I probably wrote about five thousand words, but it was spread out over ten projects. So I, I literally made no progress anywhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't think. I don't think it counts when you write 5,000 words, but it's over 10 projects. It's because, like, there's just been no progress anywhere. Um, but uh, it's really irritating. I have a terrible headache, so I can't have a whole bunch of people on at once. Also, I'm eating a brownie. Sorry. 
Oh, stupid questions. Earlier in the week, I posted um, on my live journal about stupid questions. And um, one of the questions that I got was if I thought it was arrogant to have a um, weekly radio show. And I agree that, yes, it was arrogant. But I don't actually consider arrogance a flaw. There's nothing wrong with brownies. I don't, you know, the thing is, is um, this isn't the first time I've been called arrogant, so it doesn't actually bother me to be called arrogant. Or a bitch. You can call me a bitch. I don't give a shit. Oh, and apparently I infected um, Lady Holder's husband with minionness. So that's two. I got a minion's husband, and I got Lady Holder's husband. Ha ha. Ha ha. <laughs> I uh I actually uh called a cousin of mine today and um she uh she answers the phone and I don't often call her and when I do call her it's to bitch about it's to bitch at her for something that she's not done or done um that pisses me off. So when when I called her and I really didn't have anything to bitch about um, I was just bored, and uh, she she answers the phone. She says, "Oh my God, how'd you find out?" And I just sighed and said nothing. I didn't have to because she's so conditioned. This is terrible. I I guess I'm a bully. I don't know. And so she confessed to her terrible, no good sin, and that happened to be her mother calling. Her mother is um. I'm not allowed to drive anymore because she got 10 speeding tickets in a month. So she's not allowed to drive anymore. Uh, Leadfoot Granny, that's what we call her. Uh, and uh, she, she's like 70. She's 70. Little low ladies are supposed to go slow. That one cop caught her going 80 in a 60. 80 in a 60. It was ridiculous. Anyway, so she got 10 tickets in a month, and she lost her license. And so she called her daughter, my cousin, and asked her to take her to the Walmart. And my cousin said no. And not 10 minutes after my cousin said no to her mother about going to the Walmart, I called her. So she assumed that I was calling to bitch at her about not taking her own mother to the Walmart. So, of course, after her confession, I did, in fact, bitch on her. And it went something like this. That woman pushed you out of her vagina, and all she wants you to do is to take her to Walmart. What the fuck is wrong with you? So she took my aunt to the Walmart. Because, hello? Come on now. Come on. Anyways, so that's my family right there. I'm like the enforcer or something. It's like the mafia and I'm the enforcer. Oh, on the Sopranos, was that Big Pussy? Was it Big Pussy though? I didn't actually watch Sopranos, but was he the enforcer? So I'm not sure I want to be the Big Pussy of my family because if that's the case, I'm just saying. I don't know. I really don't know. But here's the thing, people. Unless your mother is an asshole. 
I mean, unless she is an asshole. And she gets to that point in her life, because if she's been good to you and took you to Little League and helped you join Girl Scouts and took cupcakes to school on your birthday like my aunt did, you have an obligation when she gets to be at that age where she can't do her own stuff, you have an obligation to provide for your mother. Okay? Now, if she was auditioning for Mommy Dearest during your childhood, then no, you don't owe that bitch a, sh- a fucking thing. You, you you really don't. But if she was good to you and took you to Girl Scouts and brought you and read you stories and, and hardly ever brought up the fact that you nearly killed her during birth, I, th- I think that you owe her you owe her a little bit. You owe her a little bit. And if she wants to go to Walmart, you should take her ass to Walmart, okay? No matter how much it might hurt. My aunt has had two strokes. So she say she she will say whatever the fuck she wants to say, and the women in my family don't have a filter anyway. Five, someone takes us aside and removes that brain to mouth filter that tells you. Oh, okay. Um. Following the slash queen. Your tiny, tiny font is going to make my head hurt worse. Click on that T next to all users and increase your font as big as you can. Okay, so that was the chat room instruction for those of you who are listening on the podcast. Uh, Anyways, so my aunt's terrible. She's terrible. She has uh, a couple of sons. And um, I don't talk about her often because she is so terrible. And it isn't terrible like Aunt Holy Roller who can't help herself and, you know, Aunt Busybody who, you know, really literally belongs in an episode of Hee Haw. Um, this, this, this aunt in particular um, was a very vivid and and amazing woman in her youth. She was uh, thoughtful and um, fun, and she was that aunt, if you went to her house, you got to make cookies, and you got to, you know, I remember when I was, when we were, I was seven or eight, and she went through this phase where everybody got to go to her house, all the little girls in 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 the family got to go to her house, and you got to make your own apron, and your own, like she um, she taught you how to sew with a sewing machine. And so I made an apron and a pair of shorts and a dress, a, a, a sundress with a halter top. It was terribly cute. Um, Hee Haw was a variety country show um, in the 80s, Karen. It was a bunch of hillbillies on TV. And uh, go to YouTube. It, it's an experience that you have to have in, in, in order to understand. Anyways, um, <clears throat> so my aunt was this, this this amazing, awesome person in her youth. But the older she got, the less. I, 
I think um, Alzheimer's set in young with her. I remember in her 50s, she often forgot. She would get in her car and, car and go somewhere, and sometimes she would call a family member and say, hey, um, I don't know where I am. You got, you're going to have to help me get home. So by the time she had her first stroke at 62, you know, so she, so she's terrible. She's terrible. Uh, she makes no effort whatsoever to stop from hurting somebody's feelings. So I have to admit that taking her to Walmart can be a very stressful situation if you're not prepared for it. Or if your give a fuck is, is unbroken. And, and my cousin is, is very uh, hooked up on appearances and um, being a lady and, and being proper. And she's, you know, her husband's a city councilman, if you can call their little town a city. I don't know. Anyway, they do. I'm not, I'm not sure it actually qualifies as a city, but whatever. Um, so she's, you know, she's old Southern Belle and her mom. She's just terrible. And so taking her to Walmart, the, one time, the last time I took my aunt to the Walmart, um, and, and she calls it the Walmart. So it's the Walmart. I like there's only one. But in fact, there's like eight within driving distance of her house. And, you know, she has her favorite, just like my mom does. My mom has her favorite Walmart, which is terrible terrible but the last time I took my aunt to Walmart she uh <laughs> she cussed out four different people and it got to the point where I was just I wasn't even paying attention to her I mean I was I was pushing her around she's she um she's wheelchair bound now um but uh she lost her license about a year before she started using the the wheelchair and we had to um she's not allowed to take her her scooter in public, because she hits people with it on purpose, and we don't let her use those electric carts in in Walmart either because um she will hit somebody with it she <laughs> you just don't need to get in her way, so we um we don't let her <laughs> steer herself because she's just a mean, bitter old lady, and it's so terrible because, like I said, when she was young, she was amazing, and I don't know, maybe she had all this bitterness, and it was just festering inside, and the older she got, anyways, so, yeah, she cussed out three different people, and um, this lady uh, berated me for not controlling my aunt, and I told her, I said, look, you know, at the time my aunt was in her, she was like 67 or 68. I said, look, she's been on this planet a whole lot of years, a whole lot more years than me. And if she doesn't like what you're doing and she cusses you out, it is your own fault and none of my business. And I'm not going to treat her like a child. So if you don't like what she has to say, you can fuck right off. Which pretty much summed up for that lady that, in fact, my apple barely fell off my aunt's tree. (laughs) Or my grandma's tree, as it were. Because we're all basically the same person. In fact, most of us even sound alike. I've got a cousin um, in, um, in another state who sounds 
exactly like me. Her younger sister does as well. My mom doesn't sound a damn bit like me. Uh, so that's really interesting. But a lot of my cousins, we have the same little girl voice. And so when one of us calls somebody in and they're using a phone, like, you know, because caller ID really helps out in a family like mine when we all sound the same. But uh, <laughs> but sometimes, like, about, okay, who is this? And you just confirm who it is because you don't want to reveal some family secret to somebody who's not in the know. Because when you get a family as large as mine, yes, there are there are huge, ginormous secrets. And I knew a secret about my older cousin when I was five years old that my older cousin did not learn that she was in her 20s. Because if you were told a family secret and you revealed it, you would pay, 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 pay. There's, you don't reveal a family secret without permission. Very old school southernness. <clears throat> Anyways, there's that. Hey, Kaz. Hello. <clears throat> How are you tonight, other than I'm fine. just How randomly spouting? <laughs> I don't have so to talk about. I feel like I got a topic, but there's just, you know, I'm all blah. Do you have any questions? Uh, no, I don't have a question, but I do have um, a complaint against you. <laughs> okay. I, been, I can't I, promise because, I won't cuss you out. <laughs> because of you, I have been mainlining Harry Potter. For like oh, don't now. blame me for your fandom weakness. Honey, I, I was perfectly fine staying away from Harry Potter fandom and fanfic because it kind of scared me. And because uh, I was afraid I'd run into what, a preteen smut and everything. And I was like, ugh. Now, you but, won't uh, find that shit. You have to be careful because the pit yeah, I don't. I try to avoid the pit as much as possible. Um but, yeah, I have to have, like, ten tabs on my browser open. All of them Harry Potter sick. And it's all your fault. What have you read so far? <laughs> have you read Harry um, Potter and the Manipulator of Destiny? Awesome. No, not, not yet. But um, I saw that Karen had uh, wrecked a, a dreary story where they're both healers or something like that. I've been okay. reading that since yesterday. And plus I'm still reading the Life Cycle series. Uh, and I'm Let's reading see. one... And then I got one that's uh, Draco Amnesia Fix, and I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) That's the only thing I can remember off the top of my head. But, yeah, there's like ten tabs open, all of them Harry Potter stories. So you're only reading Flash, or are you reading both? Are you reading the Het, too? Not not really. uh, Just sticking with Harry and Draco right now. And... I think the only um, head that I read is what's been on Rough Trade and your stuff. <laughs> well, I don't read that much head, you know. I used to, um, but I started finding it kind of boring. And then I discovered Flash, and I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> I read both it's- interchangeably. I got a question this week about um, posting my head. I don't think the person was so much upset that I wrote it, but that I had the audacity to post it. 
Well, you know what? Um, it's all good <laughs> the way I see it. It's you know what, where wherever you find your bliss, you know. And here's the thing, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Um, I literally have no preference. When I put two characters together, what their gender is, their orientation, that is the last thing on my mind. It is the last thing I consider. The only time it becomes an issue is when they're actually fucking. So I know which tab to stick where. I'm just saying. (laughs) That's the only time it matters to me. So I don't actually go out and seek slash stories. I seek stories about characters that I enjoy, which is how I ended up with McKay Shepard, because McKay's my favorite character, and most of Stargate is dedicated to McShep. So I had to, you know, make that transition because McKay's my favorite. Well, if, uh, I forget who I was telling this. Um, the way I started getting into SGA was um, the Cam Shepard stories. Um, mm-hmm. I, I started reading those, and I was like, I want to know more about Shepard. So I started watching the show, and that's where I kind of fell off the deep end. <laughs> yeah, it happens. But, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, but um, I have no, I have nothing against Het. I do like Het, but I, the stories, unless they're like Sentigochic uh, with um, and aggregates the way they write pet relationships, you know the sex, and I'm like. Oh my God! You know, where it melts your eyeballs with how hot it is. You know, <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, first time I ever read Ivory Gates, I literally needed a cold shower afterwards. And <laughs> you know, her, actually, oh. reading and writing sex no, no longer really turns me on. I, I, I think because yeah. I've written it so much. I don't know what it is that I have such a difficult time with writing sex. I mean, it all, I'm like, I picture it in my head, and I'm like, okay, let me get the words out. And it ends up coming out like schmoopy, happy, fluffy crap. I'm like, did I know what I pictured? Stop picturing it. <laughs> Stop picturing it. Treat sex that you write like sex that you have. You don't picture sex before you have it, right? Uh-huh. Oh, hell, honey. I haven't had I mean, sex just... since 2002. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Okay, last time you had sex. When you have sex, you don't think about it. You don't plan it. You just do it. I would say to anybody, you don't plot sex. You can't plot sex. When you plot sex, it turns into this mechanical, weird thing. So it's either it's either unrealistic or it turns fluffy and stupid. So don't plot sex and don't think about it before you write it. Just yeah. throw your characters on a bed naked and see what happens. This is the only yeah. time I would tell you to completely ignore the plot process. When it comes to sex, sex is a natural process for people who have sex. So when you're writing sex, just Write what happens. Just just write it out, and you can smooth it out later if if things get a little awkward in the in the wording. Just yeah. don't plot it, and 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 don't yeah. think about it. Don't think, okay, I'm going into the sex scene, and Harry's going to blow Draco, and then this this and this. Don't don't do that. Yeah. Because uh, because when you make so. a plan, the plan becomes this weird 
robotic thing. I, 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 I can't really explain it. But once I let go of the plot process when it comes to sex, um, it stopped being an issue for me. And I think that... Um, I'm going to Basically, just going in the here. moment. I think I write really good sex. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I don't think I have a problem hot. writing sex. Um, the only time that I have a problem, um, I don't think I write action well. Um, my action sequences always seem a little stilted and a little eh, but there are two places where I know that I got it going on, and that's sex and dialogue. Yeah, I have to say, you have some of the best dialogue I've ever read, and that's one of my favorite things, to be honest. I'm a people and, listener. Uh, huh? People I go out listening? and I listen to people. Yeah, I I sit in cafes. I've, I've always done this. I sit in libraries. I sit in parks. I sit in bars. I listen to people talk, and not just what they say, but how they say it and where they say it and the emotion they put into it and all of this. Um, kind of, because I believe what you say as a character is just as important as what your character says is is just as important for character development as anything else that you decide for them. You know how they speak, how they move in a scene, how what they reveal with their words, because. Sometimes, especially with someone like John Shepard, who's who's very stoic in canon, and um, I heard I, I read somewhere once and it was a perfect description of Shepard. They said he walked around with a coating of Teflon. Yeah, that does fit him pretty well because when I first started watching the show, I was like, that is the most wooden character ever. And then I started paying attention, you know, on the second. He's not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, I think it was saying that. Minion chat, you know, you can see, you have to really look at his face because he shows his emotion around around his eyes, you know. Yeah, his eyes. His his emotional disconnect is amazing. And actually, I think that's probably, um, I've, I've never really watched anything else Joe Flanagan's been in, but he did an excellent job um, hiding but, um, what John, what the character felt. And but also revealing it in ways that you have to really pay attention to. Um, he was well. Recently, he did a metal uh, an episode of Metal for Long. Um, his outfit in it. He made, he looks like he's wearing a peacekeeper outfit from Farscape. Uh, I love it. But um, his, his character is pretty badass in that. But I really loved him in the movie that he did with Van Damme, Six Bullets. I haven't he, seen it, but, I, but I've been meaning to. It, it's one. Yeah, how Pandemic's movies have gone downhill over the years. Well, this one is very good, and it treats, um, you know, the subject of kids being kidnapped and sold sold, sold into sexual slavery very well, and just in general, the movie's good. But Flanagan, you know, he blew me away with it. And it was his part, you know, being, you know, acting as a dad searching for his daughter. And he's pretty badass in it. But, um, I forget what the hell I was going to say. Oh, but, (laughs) uh, you know, with all these characters that he's played, he actually, Shepard is the most, I guess, quiet one of the bunch when it comes to emotion. I get it, like, 
he says stoic, and yeah. you have to just really look at his face and around his eyes. You would get a hint of what he's saying, thinking, or feeling. And even then, it's not one percent. Yeah, I have a lot of problems with the writing on Stargate, especially in Atlantis near the end. But what I will say is that the writers were very careful with John's dialogue in that Mm -hmm. there was always a serious amount of economy in John's dialogue. They would let Rodney just spew all over a scene, which was part of his character. And John seen. John's language was always very sharp. Yeah. I would say that, you know, Rodney's like a bomb and John's like a knife. That's a great When it comes to dialogue. You know, oh. so and so part of your character development when you're developing a character is deciding what kind of person they're going to be when they speak. Yeah. And the, one of the best episodes um, was actually at the end, Vegas. I mean, mm-hmm. just the way that you could see the essence of both the characters that we knew, but you got to see more of what they were inside, in a sense, you know, because they didn't have the the same uh, environment that we were familiar with with, uh, with them, especially Shepard. And mm-hmm. that, uh, I can't get enough of that episode, uh, just because seeing, you know, him as a detective at the bottom and still doing what we know Shepard would do in essence. And still, and, and still making the sacrifice play. Yeah. And now his heart still being John. Right. Yeah. yeah and, um, that was an amazing piece of, of, of writing, and I wish that it wasn't so rare. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know and say in interviews, they opened up a whole new world with that episode, and they should have actually had it at the beginning of the season and played with it I from agree. there. I agree. Because they, yeah, they really did blow the lid wide open with that episode. And, and then they, yeah, and then it fizzled away. Okay, I, mean, I have another person on hold. I'm going to uh-huh. put you back on hold. I can't handle too many callers at once because my head hurts. And um, All right. I, uh, I'll come back to you if you if you like at some point yeah, that'd be if great. I can. Okay. That'd be great. Okay. If I can. Have a good <laughs> evening. Okay. Okay. Karen says, Do you ever get stuck on words or hung up on them, meaning using the same words often and without realizing it before editing an obvious Yeah. You, ob- yeah I do. I really do. I sometimes <laughs> We'll use a word over and over and over and over again. And if I find myself when I'm doing my my first pass before I send it to beta, and I see a word a couple of times, what I will do is I will do a, a find, and I will find them all and highlight them, and then grow, and then go through and try to change them and to eliminate them so that I'm not using that same word over and over and over again. Because it, because it does happen. It's a bleed. Because, you know, honestly... In your everyday life, your vocabulary isn't that large. You use a small amount of words. I mean, the average person has a vocabulary, an active vocabulary. You might know a a lot of words, but you don't use them. 
So you have an active vocabulary of, say, 1,000, 1,200 words. Um, in everyday conversation, maybe eight or 900 words that might b be a part of your field if you're in a um, technical or science. So yes, you know a lot of words, but you don't use a lot of words. And so when you're writing, it is very easy to kind of just get stuck in a rut and use the same words over and over and over again, which is why thesaurus.com is so awesome. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? Um, the chat room is talking about Keller. And Keller is actually a very disappointing character. She's so two-dimensional, and it's obvious what she's there for. She's, um, she's nerd service, and... Um, and she's a cheerleader, and uh, and she, the thing is, is that Jill State is actually a very fun actress, and I I really like her, and I hate what they did with her character on Stargate. They just they turned her into a God, just God. I'm spelling that G-A-W-D. God. Anyway, it's so annoying because she could have had potential. She could have been really interesting. And um, I really, I really hated that they backed away from that Ronan-Keller pairing. I think it had a lot of potential. Um, and I think that if they'd have written her in such a way that she could accept Ronan and and help Ronan make a place for himself after losing his world. It would have made a, a, a really awesome character choice for her. She could have been nurturing and, um, and badass. And instead she was whiny and controlling and emotionally manipulative. And, ugh. Just, oh, just stab, stab, stab. Karen says that, and she said that Joe mentioned in the Q&A that they did a poor job with all the female characters on the show and that none of them got strong roles. And I actually agree with Joe. That's true. Um, I think that Taylor was underutilized a lot. Um, I believe that Elizabeth's character was actually, I think the recasting of Elizabeth's character was the downfall of Elizabeth's character. I think they realized they put a really strong, formidable actress in the role, and they took her out. They, they took Jessica out and put Tori in, and Tori became mommy. Jessica could have been a general out there in Pegasus, kicking ass, she could have strapped on a gun and you wouldn't have thought twice about it. But if you'd have put a gun on Tori, no. It looked bad. It, it looked weird. No. No. It was it was just wrong. Um, so Jessica would have been a fantastic Elizabeth in Pegasus. She was strong. She wouldn't have treated Rondi and John like children. And she did. She had this whole mommy vibe going on that was just horrible. Oh, just horrible. So anyways, yeah, that was a bad choice. I think that really 
I don't know that the actresses. I don't know. It, it just seems like there was a culture in Stargate that if your name wasn't Amanda Tapping, you didn't get to be interesting. I'm not saying that to bash Amanda Tapping because she's awesome. I I really enjoy Amanda um, as an actress. I think she's beautiful. I think she's very talented. I really enjoyed her on Sanctuary. That was great. Um, but I think that there was this culture because she'd been a part of Stargate so long, that other female characters were just terribly underutilized and undeveloped. And let's not even go into that whole thing with all the alien women being super hot, who my husband for years has called Seven of Tok'ra. Freya, Freya, the one that, God, anyways, because, you know, she can't really be interesting unless she comes through the Stargate wearing as little as possible in a cat suit. I'm just saying. I think that really the um, most interesting character they introduced near the end was Vala, and I think that that's mostly because of Claudia Black. I think you would have to be a very strong presence to keep an actress like Claudia Black down. So no matter what they wrote her in and how they wrote her, she was on top of that shit because she had a lot of personality of her own. And it is all because of Claudia. I don't think the writers had anything to do with it. You know, she's just um, strong in her own right. And even when they had her swishing around in a little black dress, throwing off sex appeal, she was still, she was still owning it. And she was still owning herself, you know. And so, and, and that makes a difference. That makes a huge difference. And um, so, anyways. Anise, yes. Anise was seven of Tok'ra. Yes. Uh, just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Anyways. So, so Jennifer Keller's character could have been interesting. So, while I do enjoy bashing her, I also like kind of twisting her around and making her something more, um, which is why in Sentinels of Atlantis, she's this um, soft, talented guide who ends up bonded with this by-the-book military man. And I think that's really interesting. And in Ties That Bind, I have her being really timid and unsure and super submissive and really not suited for uh, a military environment because I just don't think that she is at all as a character as, as far as that goes. But uh, And let's see what else. And, and, and what might have been, she's kind of like John's little sister. And I think that why that happened is because McKay – wasn't on Atlantis, and John was in a situation out there in Pegasus where he was super protective of all of the people on his staff, and when Jennifer was sent out to Pegasus in the second wave, she was young, and John was being very protective, and John's also very gay, so there was no chance of him hitting on her or trying to have a relationship with her. So they developed this kind of brother-sister thing going on because she didn't have any family. 
there, and he was estranged from his family. And so they became very protective of each other in in that situation. And so that's a uh, situation where I turned Jennifer's character a little bit because of the situation they were in. And when you have a character and you change their environment or you changed or you change their history a little bit or their sexual orientation or you change an event or you change how they feel about a certain character in canon, it it ripples out and it makes them different. And so you have to um, pay attention to that. And because Jennifer was out there around people dying left and right and they're talking in the chat room about how she saved him from the Janai. And you have to think that at that moment when Jennifer realized that Weir wasn't going to rescue the person keeping them all alive, that she was scared out of her mind. And it was like, fuck you. Fuck you, Elizabeth, because no. you know. And she wasn't the only one. She was just the senior civilian to make a decision. And they were all like, Elizabeth needs to go in a jail cell because hell no, because this is this is, this is the man that's keeping us alive, so we're going to go get him and fuck the Janai. So that's what she did. You know, it was, again, because Rodney wasn't on Atlantis, Rodney wasn't the one pulling their ass out of the fire every day. It was John. John was standing between them in most certain death at that point, and they all knew it except for Elizabeth. Or maybe she didn't care because she had reached that point where she was more interested in ascension than anything else. And that makes a big difference. Anyways, so when you take a character, even if you one you, you hate, you can, you can twist them and, and move them around and, and make them interesting. And even if I was capable of doing that with Jenny Weasley, and, and maybe I could, I don't know, I still wouldn't ship her with Harry. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm going to put that out there. Um, I ship Harry with two people and two people only, Hermione and Draco, period. I, I, I make no other... No, I don't read any other pairings. I'm not remotely interested in reading any other pairings. Um, my OTP in Stargate Atlantis is McKay Shepard. I don't read anything else. Um, no. I don't read it, and I'm certainly not going to write it. I only have one story on my whole site where, Shep- where McKay is with somebody else in love, and that's... Um, my head series, Dark Places in the Soul, and he is with Lorne, uh, Evan Lorne, and um, so there's that. Uh, I have in the background in my stories where John and Rodney have hooked up with different people because people have sex and it's going to be happening and no one's going into a relationship of virgins, so, you know, it's obvious that sex is going to happen, you know, so. Anyways. I like Harry and Draco, but I have to tell you that my my real OTP um, um, OTP for for Harry Potter is Harry and Hermione. Um, it's what I prefer to read. It's what it's what I prefer to write. 
for the most part. I can write the Harry Draco with absolutely no problem whatsoever, but it isn't my favorite. So, anyways. Lady Holder. Hello. What are you doing? I'm listening and providing, you know, semi-color commentary <laughs> by links. <laughs> because, you know, not like I don't know where most everything is. Oh, 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 I wanted to share with you. Um, what? I When I was looking through our notebook pile, I found uh, something. I found notes on uh, our story. Beautiful. Ah, yep. did we actually have three people set, uh, set up for death? Uh, give me a minute, I'll tell you. Um, for those of you who don't know, Lady Holder and I are writing a story called Beautiful and Dangerous Things. It's a Sherlock... Sentinel um, crossover. Fusion. Yes. Rampant insanity. I, I know. I know I had it somewhere. And because uh, I was, like, really surprised when I saw it. I was like, oh, look, there it is. I was I was really surprised. Well, we plotted it out in, in Instant Messenger oh, for a is. very long time. Yes. We had... I could have sworn we only had two deaths. Okay. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Due to various computer failures over the last couple of years, I think I lost my version of these notes. So the fact that she has them, I'm really happy about. Well, I found the stuff about the priest and the cop. I think you're right. Uh-huh. I think it was two. It was two. Um... Mm-hmm. Oh, see, that's why I thought there were three victims. There are three victims, but there are only two victims that they're investigating. Yeah. There's the first, the first victim. Uh, yeah, yeah. The cause of the whole yes. mess. Yes. So what happens is when you when you write with somebody else, you um, all these things come together. <laughs> all these things come together and you uh, – but, yeah, that's why I thought there were three murders because there are – but one of them mm-hmm. won't be investigated until way after it. the fact. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, anyways. Okay. We're constructing <laughs> a serial killer. Constructing a serial killer. When Lady Holder and I decided to write, I don't know how it happened. What happened was is that we were chatting one night, and I dared her to do something, and she did it. And she sent it to me, and I wrote on it and sent it back to her, and then it became a thing. And then we had to stop and pause. <laughs> And do some plotting, because when you write with somebody else, you cannot pant. You cannot there was pant absolutely no way we could. No, because what happens is is you end up killing somebody's OC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so rule of thumb, when you're writing with another person, you need to have a plan and an outline that you both have and you both use and you make these decisions together so you don't end up cussing each other out. Now, one of the reasons uh-huh. why I don't often write with somebody else, in fact, I've only ever done it twice outside of this project with Lady Holder, is because um, 
I'm selfish. I'm a selfish, greedy writer, and I don't like to share. You write a good portion of that thing anyhow, and my writing has improved a lot because of having to counter-write with you. So, um, <laughs> Kind of blend it in so you can't tell where one begins yes. and one ends. And, and that's another thing, blending styles, yes. I actually picked up some of your your rhythm early on in that story, and I can tell where um, Lightholder has a very uh, distinctive voice. She tells um, stories a, 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 a way much different from my own. So blending our voices together, what happens is is that um, I go through hers and do a little editing, and then she goes through mine does a little editing, so that when you get the final product, you can't tell where one of us begins and the other one ends. And I really can't. It, it gets to be very I, interesting. I can't at this point tell you which part I wrote and which part you wrote. The only part which is I'm really interesting. Yeah, the only part I'm absolutely certain about is the first bit and the the last bit that I just handed back over. And even then, the the, uh, the first bit has gone through you a couple times. So you know, it all it all works. Yeah, and it's um, we're not in the t- same time zone uh, following the Smash Queen. So it, it gets to be interesting because sometimes we're not even on the same clock. She's nocturnal some days or weeks, and I'm, I'm very <laughs> definitely not because I have to work. So, you know, I'd be, um, I'd be writing and I'd send something, and I'd wonder what had happened. And, you know, some, somewhere around midnight um, from the, the time date stamp, on the file, you know, she'd have been working on it, and it's like, oh, okay, she went nocturnal again. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it gets to be interesting when it, when that happens. So, but the thing with with beautiful and dangerous things is, um, it was it was basically a dare. I dare you to make this work, and. I didn't expect it to be, you know, what it turned out to be. No, it was a lot no, of fun. very much so. I have a question, mm-hmm. actually. I have a whole sure. block of questions here. Hold on. Um, let's see. In published erotica books, I have found a large number of continuity errors in sex scenes. There are no other continuity errors in the book. Is this due to editors and authors being embarrassed by sex scenes, so they skim over them? Or do they pay less attention to those scenes? Do they think we as readers pay less attention to these scenes? Or is it simply a coincidence? And then I'm going to skip your examples. I hope you don't mind. That's a whole lot of examples. Um, (laughs) um, I would say that publishers who don't have a focus on um, publishing erotic romance might encounter staff members that are uh, less inclined towards towards right to editing sex. And so that could be a problem, yes. Um, but I would challenge you on there not being continuity errors in other parts of the book. Because I guarantee you there probably are. I think you just notice them more in sex scenes because sex scenes are compact and they're right there all together and they're over. You know, so if you're, if you're looking at a, a three, two... I don't know, 
800 to 1,000 words of sex scene, you're going to notice the inconsistencies a lot more in a scene with sex because it's really compact and close together, so you're going to see them. <coughs> but if an editor is missing those in a sex scene, they're missing them in other parts of the book as well. Actually, the worst one that I had found real recently, um, and it was a commercial book that you know I, I bought and I paid for, and um, I felt very much like the person who wrote it did a fair amount of copy-paste and minor edit cha- to change um, parts of it, but it was basically the same sex scene times, I don't know how many times it was in the book. And it's, it's depressing when the professional sex scenes are incredibly boring, and I wandered back over to fanfic and settled in and went, you know, this, this is hotter. <laughs> what it boils down to? very depressing. Um, I'm going to say this as a professional and um, as a fanfiction writer as well. A lot of times in my professional work, I have constraints that I have to work with. Like, um, there's one publisher that I work with where I'm not allowed to write anal sex. That's depressing. Um, There's another publisher where I published briefly with that I wasn't allowed to have a woman on top. I'm not kidding. Jesus. Okay. Um, So... And then there, then I encountered a publisher about five years ago. I published online with a rather large erotic romance publisher. Um, and I actually got back notes from the publisher letting me know, or it was my editor letting me know, that I hadn't used the word cock enough and that she would like me to use the word pussy instead of cunt. I don't don't remember hearing you you, uh, say anything about that one. I do remember hearing about the one who got all kinds of discombobulated because because you used the word cock. Yeah, I encountered a – what happened was is I was publishing with the New York House, and um, and most of my work – my my print work is with New York houses, um, and um, <laughs> there was a new editor in the uh, it was a line editor. And when you when you're publishing a professional like with a print with a New York house, when you're publishing for real, the real deal, you go through your main editor, and your main editor is your buying editor, and they take your project to a committee, and they pitch your um, project to the committee, the, the buying committee, and if, and if they pitch it well enough and they sell it enough, you'll get a contract offer. Or you might get more than one. You might get a three-book deal, which is you know really cool, or you might get five-book deal, or you might just get one. Or if they offer you a really good deal, your agent might realize, oh, well, we need to check out the other publishers, and then you get you know a whole bunch of publishers bidding on your work, which, which happened to me once, and it was really awesome. It turned out to be very stressful as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So... Um, after that happens, after you sign the contract, your book goes to um, a line editor. And that line editor takes your book apart and, and, and edits it for um, grammar, typos, just, just the whole thing, continuity, uh, plot work, you know, just bam, all, all the way across the board. And after they do that, 
you go to a, a, a line a, a, a proof editor and the mm-hmm. proof editor is the person who formats your book for print they make sure that your sentence is in on the right side of the page so you don't have a word split between two pages it's going to turn you know stuff like that especially when it comes to the print product they decide your font they decide your font size they decide how many pages are going to be in your book and how it's going to look on the page that they decide how all that's going to happen and your proofer will also read the material now what happened was is that my book went through my first editor and it was great she fucking loved it and then it went to my line editor and she fucking loved it and she has some stuff because i have issues um, and she fixed my stuff, and it was great. And then it goes to the proofer. And the proofer sent it back to me. Now, normally when the proofer sends something back to you, it's because there's a typo. And they want to make sure they're correcting the typo the right way, you know, just to make sure that mm-hmm. your book is going to be exactly what you want it to be, which is great. That's what proofers are for. So she sends it back to me and tells me, and it wasn't the word cock, it was the word cunt, um, tells me that the word cunt is derogatory and I need to change it. I remember and then she highlighted, you... no, this is a proofer one. Now, the cock one was a different publisher. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the, uh, she highlighted my use of the word cunt throughout my entire book. And so, so she's normally when you get something from a proofer, you get like eight or nine pages in the mail. They come FedEx, and you look through the changes that they've done on the proof copy, and then you send it back. Well, she sends my whole book to me, and I'm thinking, oh my god, what is wrong with my book? So I call my editor, and I'm like, dude, this, this proofer says I can't use the word cunt, and my editor goes, but you own that word. You own the word cunt. I said, I know. So that proofer got removed from my project. Um, and what had happened was is that the publisher um, the the publisher in question publishes a great many different lines. Oh no. And they have uh erotic lines and inspirational lines and this proofer had actually come from what I would consider a sensual romance line, kinda like a Harlequin Desire from the 80s, you know, those red ones? Mm. Like that. Oh, yeah. Like that. I remember those. Um, uh, and she was perfectly okay with the foul language in my book. Um, she just had a real problem with the word cunt. And when I refused to change it, she refused to proof my book. So that uh-huh. was an entire. That was a yeah. That that was a thing. Someone asked me um, if I have a favorite publishing house. I I don't want to answer that question. Um, I don't want you to think I'm ignoring you because I'm not. But I don't want to answer that question because uh, um, that's a little too specific uh-huh. <laughs> to me. Anyways, <clears throat> um, Karen says. Um, you say you're selfish and don't often write with others. Under what circumstances would you consider with writing someone other than Lady Holder? Um, honestly, I wouldn't. And here's why. I'm an asshole. I am <laughs> a bitch. And what happens when you are the kind of bitch I am, there are 
two kinds of people in your life. There are people who tolerate the bitch that you are, and there are people who embrace the bitch that you are. And Lady Holder embraces the bitch that I am. And that's very rare. So I can call her and say, I can't fucking believe you killed my tea lady, and then hang up on her, and she won't get mad. And I'm sitting there going, huh? What did I Click. do? And I went I've back and I wrote it and went, oh, yeah. So <laughs> reading I can't. So that's the kind of thing that um, is very rare because I could very easily – I'm actually very harsh um, in the critique process when I'm working on a project with somebody else if my name is on it. So it lay holders on thick skin, so I don't worry about hurting her feelings when I say, hey, I don't, I don't fucking like this. and I don't like this at all. We need to fix this. This is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and she takes it, and she's... And she throws it right back at me. Well, I don't fucking like that, and I can't believe you did that. And it's fine, but it's rare. It's, it is rare. And the fact of the matter is is that one of the reasons, this, this, the first reason I don't write with other writers is because I'm selfish. The second reason I don't write with other writers is because I'm a bitch. The third reason is is I don't want to destroy you as a writer. And I'm a very difficult person to work with when it comes to that. I think I'm a great beta. I, I, I try to be a supportive motherfucker on that front, but a lot of writers don't really have the ability to hang tough with me, and I don't want to um, intrude. Because what happens is, is if you have a strong personality, and I do, and you encounter someone who's not as strong, you end up kind of taking them over. And I don't want to take over somebody else's process and change them as a writer in a negative way. I'm, I'm not interested in making a clone of myself. So even when, when Lady Holder and I are writing together, and we're and, and I can literally cannot tell where one of us is and where one of us is, is into something and one of us began it, I try to make sure that I'm not intruding on her in such a way that she loses her own voice. And I can very easily do that to an to an inexperienced writer. And here's the fun thing that when when we started this, I technically would have qualified as a fairly inexperienced writer. I wasn't. Um, I had been writing fanfic for a while, but I wasn't um, nearly as experienced as I am now. And so it. Um, things are a lot more even on this and it's it definitely I've gotten a a honest to goodness down you know down and serious um look over of of a story from Kira and I knew going in that this was no joke this was the real deal I had a glass of wine beside me when I opened that thing and I what she's at saying it. is, she wrote an original project because you don't. I don't think you explained this well. You, you, you yeah. left out some details. She has yes, a professional project, and she asked it's in, it's original, and she asked mm-hmm. me to approach it from a professional standpoint. Yes, and I did, and I sent it to her, and I don't think she opened it for a week. Um. 
Actually, I think it was about two or three days, and I opened it once, closed it, and went for the wine. And then I came back to it, and I opened it back up. Started working my way through it, and it took most of the bottle of wine. But, you know, I made it through, <laughs> and <laughs> I was being serious. It, it did. And so, you know, at, at the end of it, it was um, I felt a lot better about the whole thing. And by the way, the tea lady's tea lady's name is Mrs. Jacobs. She named my tea lady. <laughs> no, you named the tea lady. Oh, you did named I? the tea okay. lady. Yes. Oh, oh okay. okay. Because you commented okay. that Mrs. Jacobs is going to cause a new London firestorm if she doesn't remember to take that blasted kettle off the fire. Oh, Quote. yes. My tea lady. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, yeah. I opened it um, up. So, Lady Holder and I have weathered that that storm and um i actually have in the past before i learned to moderate myself a little bit um chris she's not dead so don't stop saying no she can't rest in peace she's not dead anyway um i i actually made somebody cry once um during a critique process and so i've tried to um tone myself down a little bit so instead of saying, "Oh, I think this is stupid," I say, "Oh, this this looks a little awkward." <laughs> I got the stupid, I think. <laughs> you might have, <laughs> but I, I try I to I got the- moderate what I say. So instead of saying, "Oh, dude, no, this is terrible," I say, "You know what? Maybe if you did this instead." So you know, when you approach from someone from a critique point of view, instead of telling, "Oh, this is terrible," say. I like this, but it would be maybe better if if it was like this. <laughs> Actually, I think I got the what in the hell is this? Well, uh, that's also because you write with your magic pen. This is true. Now there there were several there were several moments in her um in her manuscript that she sent me, and it, it was nonsense. Uh, there, there was like a whole sentence that it. it I could not make sense of it, and then I realized it was probably her pen. Because Lady Holder writes with a digital pen on a notebook, and then she, tra- then she imports it into her computer, sometimes it doesn't translate her handwriting accurately. And I don't notice when I'm reading through things. Because she's seeing what she wants to see. And you talk about that, writer blindness. There, there comes mm-hmm. a point in your project when, you, when you're writing that you – see what you expect to see versus what is actually there. And that mm-hmm. kind of writer bonus is why you need critique partners and, and why you need an editor and um, because you're not ever going to see it. And so there were several yeah. instances in her manuscript where I was like, what the fuck is this? And so I wrote that. What the fuck? <laughs> and mm-hmm. it wasn't because it was bad. It was because I didn't know what it was, literally. <laughs> what am I reading? The magic pen is... Um Oh, golly, it's uh, an Echo Pen. I don't remember what the official is. But basically, I'll go to Amazon got, and research it. Yeah, it's got a special um, notepad that's got lots and lots and lots of little dots on it, along with the regular college rule lines. And it's got a basically a, a lens that, as you write and the ink goes down, it monitors what um, dots are crossed. So it reproduces my handwriting in um, in the computer, and then it takes the handwriting and and translates it into text. And Sybil, it is not like a magic cock. 
that thing is not insertable. Actually, it is the exact opposite of a magic cock because the echo <laughs> pen actually exists and the magic cock does not. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we need to go off on a little tangent here. I love tangent away. I love it. I love having one in my mouth. I love having one in other parts of my body. I do, I do love men, and I love a big, thick cock. I'm going to tell you something right now. I have never encountered a single one that was magical. I've had my share and your share. No, I've had my own share, thanks awfully. Oh, no, I had my sister's share because... (laughs) This is true, this is true. Yeah, my sister's a bit of a whatever. But, you know, it's... um, I had a fantastic core face. It was great. Fantastic whore face. Um, but I, I swear, I've ne- I will swear on my laptop computer and my brand new tablet, I have never encountered a magic cock. They do not exist. No, they don't exist. Now, have I had one that, that has let me see stars before? Yes. Oh, yes. Um, has, it, has, <laughs> has it spewed magic? Not so much. No. Yeah. Yeah, rain, rain, rainbows and unicorns did not come out of the dick. So. And if it does, you should run. <laughs> yes, because what the fuck did run, you get? Bitches, what did run, bitches, run. What you to get that STD? Because I don't even yeah. want to know. No, yeah, I have either. a magic wand. I have a Hitachi magic wand. Best fucking thing ever made. It, wow. You have yeah, not I had don't. a good vibrator until you've had one that plugs into the wall. Once you've had one that plugs into the wall, um, the ones that use batteries are like child's play. And that's horrible to say, but that's exactly what I mean. It's just like, it's it's night and day. It it is literally the, no. Seriously. (laughs) So serious. Yeah, maybe this will end up being the, the, oh, God, there's a subject. One thing we haven't done, toys. And I'm not talking Legos. <laughs> I think we discussed toys once, briefly. Um, I have an Atachi magic wand. It's fantastic. Um, my husband enjoys it as well. Um, I have a friend who has one of those things you can ride. You know what I mean? Oh, here's a... Yeah. I don't know what it's called, though. Me either, frankly. Oh, Elania, there's no such thing as too powerful. A, 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 I don't know how to say it, though, Chris. Sibian? Sibian? At any rate. Sibian. Sibian. That's the thing you can ride. It um, is a, like a, um, it's kind of like a mechanical bull, but it, you sit on a dick. Okay. Um, That's yeah. an interesting thing I to have. I have, a, I have a friend who has one of those, and um, she bought it, and she and um, uh, I don't know, it isn't exactly like a mechanical bull, but it's close. Um, with a yes, dick, but there's no on. hiding that from your mother. No, there's no hiding that from your mom. No, no, you just gotta have a room that you lock. Anyway, my friend bought this, and she um. I didn't hear from her for about a week. And so I called her, and I'm like, dude, did you ever get that thing in the mail? She said, oh, my God, did I get that thing in the mail. She said, I think I lost two pounds already. 
Okay. And I don't know what the correlation is between her buying this Sibian and the fact that she lost 50 pounds in a year, um, but I don't dismiss it. It's, hey, sex is a very good aerobic workout. Now, I have an aunt who likes to sit on her washing machine. Uh, no. I don't think it's I enough. Don't. No, the cycle doesn't. I'm not going to say. Enough. I'm not going to deny it. I tried it. I mean, you know, when I had the older mm-hmm. washing machine that still had the agitator inside, now my washing machine doesn't have an agitator. It's really weird. I don't know how it works, yeah. but it does. So I try not to worry about it too much. Anyway, um, I. I, oh, I hopped Jesus. up on it, I hopped up on it, and I thought, okay, and I brought my Kindle along, and I was reading, and we get to the spin cycle, and it wasn't all that. So I called my aunt, and I'm like, are you sure this this whole washing thing, thing is a thing? Um, And she's like, it's great. And I'm like, no, it's not. I said, you put on some clothes, because we're going to the sex toy store. I need to broaden your horizons. This is not enough. <laughs> um. When my sister got married, she was 18 and a half years old. And heaven forbid, she was, well, she was a lot more earthy than she bothered to be later in life. But to, to do the, the um, well, the stag party for us, for, for us girls, um, we t- I took my mother my sister's mother-in-law-to-be and her sister-in-law-to-be to the local porn store. And I walked in, and I'd been going in there for a while. Comfortable with it, not a problem, everything's cool. The other three, their heads almost exploded because they were blushing so hard and they were so red. And they spent more time giggling and freaking out over the products of than they did making decisions on what to torment my sister with so oh i have a story i have a mom story i have a mom story okay i come home from college my freshman year (laughs) have you ever you know how you have tupperware parties right (laughs) yes and I think I know you have um, you have what's those uh, pampered chef parties, right? Yes. So my mom yes. says um, I've been invited to a party and I can bring a guest. Do you want to go? And I think it's going to be pampered chef or Tupperware or uh-huh. um, something of yes. that. It's called a slumber party now, or something similar. So, so um, I go. And um, I said, well, do we need to bring anything, you know? And she said, oh, no, 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 we don't have to bring anything. Um, and see, okay, I am, at this point, 19. Um, so my mom is <laughs> 49. 39. 39. She's 39. She's 39. I'm mm-hmm. 19 because we're, we're 20 years apart. Anyway, so, oh, my God, she's this, she was the same age in this story as I am now. 
<clears throat> that puts a hole in his film on the whole to- on the whole story for me. Okay, so anyway, I go into the house and there's food and there's women and um I'm the youngest woman there and um they're all chitting and chatting and um uh, we're doing our thing and um uh one of the ladies says, "Are you sure she should be here?" And um my mom looks over and she says and she says my name. She says, "Are you still a virgin?" and I'm like, "Oh my god, mother, no." And she's like, "Okay, yeah, you can stay." <laughs> so see, yeah, there you go. She's fine. So, okay, so we get seated, and I'm thinking, what what the fuck kind of party is this? There are no men here, so it's not a swingers. I'm, I'm, I'm at least thinking I'm safe from that, right? So Not so much, no. <laughs> it was called a naughty lady party, and the sales lady uh-huh. introduced herself, and she's talking, and I'm still not quite getting it. Because she has this little <laughs> table laid out behind her, but it's covered in a sheet. Uh-huh. And I'm 19, and I'm kind of naive. I've, I'm, I've, at this point, I've only had one lover, and the, and the only sex toy I ever had was a personal massager thing I bought at um, Walmart, shaped like a ladybug. <laughs> 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 and so she gives her whole little speech, and she's talking about women's health and, and um, owning yourself and, and empowerment. I'm thinking, is this some kind of feminist party? And I'm, 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 I'm not is. getting it. I'm, I'm not getting it at all, right? So I'm 19. I'm not getting it. Okay, so she whips that sheet off. <laughs> and picks up a purple dildo. <laughs> a purple glitter dildo. And it is the first sex toy I ever held in my hand because after she talked about it and showed it off and showed all the details and how it had the veins and um, and um, how you could heat it up with hot water, it, she passed it around and it ended up in my hands and I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I couldn't put this in my hoo-ha, it's purple. <laughs> So my mom's sitting beside me, and she asked me, what do you think? And I'm like, I couldn't use this. And the sales lady is like, um, why, I know it's kind of big. I said, this isn't any bigger than my boyfriend, actually. But um, the problem is is that it's purple glitter. Do you have one in a nice flesh tone? Black, maybe? <laughs> Do you have this in the African-American version? Is it bigger? (laughs) So I pass this around, and we keep going through and going through. And at one point during the thing, Mom leans over, and she says, okay, you can spend about $40. I said, are you for serious? Uh (laughs) So my first vibrator was a rabbit. It had that you insert it with the little ears and the rabbit mm-hmm. simulated the clit, and my mom bought it for me. And your mom officially wins the the mom, you know, um, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, she, that's that's. She that's also got like um, um, a bottle of lubrication. And mm-hmm. she offered to buy me, and this is the first time I actually encountered a product called Boy Butter. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who aren't particularly aware of it, and I don't know, I'm not sure if it was called Boy Butter at the time, but um, 
that's the last time I saw it in a store, that's what it was called. And basically, it is a very thick, viscous lube that stays in place, and it's for anal sex. Mm-hmm. And my mom asked me if I wanted to get some. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Thank you. <laughs> now, when it came time to buy your sex toys, you got to go in a... Um, in a private place, location to, to, to do so. And so the lady was going in order, and my mom was first. And my mom said, well, you can just come with me. And the lady was like, well, um, is she going to have a problem, you know, picking out what she might like in front of you since you are her mom? I said, she's paying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. My the one we Boy Butter here. is the uh, Boy Butter is the brand name of that lube yes. that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if it was the same brand name in the, in that party, but it was a lube specifically designed for anal sex. And lube designed for anal sex actually um, doesn't um, evaporate as quickly as lubrication does that's normally used for vaginal sex. It's thicker, and it stays where you stick it for a mm-hmm. long time. So Which and, is the and when you're doing um yeah our bill for that party was about was about 100 bucks. Now, here's another sex story about my mom. Um you all know the story of of, of Hugh. Uh-huh. And the sex toy doll. Um <laughs> you asked a, someone asked a question about my mom owning a magic wand. She did not buy a magic wand at that party because at the time they were super expensive. They were like $200. At that point, um, they're a lot cheaper now. Anyway, during the incident with Hugh the sex doll, and if you don't know what that is, you can find it on my live journal. Um, just look at uh, the tag "trolling my husband," mm-hmm. and, and you'll find it. Um, you'll find it. Uh, Amazon accidentally sent me a sex doll, a male one, a mm-hmm. white male one. Anyways, so there was a sex doll. Um, and it was also in the same, I had replaced my magic wand, and um, there came a point where my mom found out about the sex doll, and um, she asked, um, you know, how did you end up getting a sex doll? And I said, I don't know, it just came in the middle of my magic wand. And my mom said, oh, I love my magic wand. So, yes, my mother does own a magic wand, just for your, for your <laughs> FYI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know and haven't experienced a magic wand, a magic wand without a um, – you can buy a moderator that will allow you to control um, the vibration on a magic wand. The magic wand is basically a um, a wand structure, and it has a white knob on the end of it. It's very soft and, and very delicate on your skin. Um and uh, it's washable. It's very washable. And you can replace those heads, too. And then you can put attachments on it for, for, for different things. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's about the size of a tennis ball. And it is the one you plug into the wall. And there is a link mm-hmm. in the chat room. And if you go to Amazon and you click in Magic Wand, you will find it. Do not buy an off-brand. Buy Hitachi or don't buy it at all. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you why. I had a cousin who bought an off-brand magic wand, and it burned her. Ow. Hitachi magic wands are 
are more expensive than the off-brand, but they are safe for you to use in a variety of ways, you know, sexy ways. Um, but she tucked it between her legs, and she burned her thigh with the housing wow. of the um, motor unit. So one thing about the, 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 the magic wand is that it has two settings, um, low and who needs a man? <laughs> mhm. It's like it's like sitting on a jackhammer. I swear to God, <laughs> it is very rare when I can take setting two. It's like literally sitting on a jack um, a, a, a jackhammer. It is amazing. Because um, like when you know with a with a battery operated vibrator, it. it it, it, it tends to get less intense as the batteries get old. Mm-hmm. But when you yeah. have something that plugs into the wall, the intensity doesn't change unless you want it to. And with the Magic Wand, you can buy an attachment that, that attaches to the cord, and you can um, have it do um, a uh, a cycle where it goes slow and fast and slow and fast and slow and fast, you know, which is really cool. Like there was that uh, app at one time that you could plug a silver bullet into for your iPhone, and it would yep. um, it, it would vibrate you to the rhythm of a song. You, um, you, mm-hmm. you could pick out a song, and it would vibrate to the rhythm of the song, which would can which would be yeah, that's kind of awesome actually. I mean, depending so, on the song, that would be great. If you buy a magic wand, seriously consider the attachment that will help you modulate the. Uh, the vibration so that you can kind of build up to because even the small um, even the low setting is extreme. It is four times what you would get out of a silver bullet. And a silver bullet's awesome when you put really really fresh batteries in it. That first one with that really fresh battery, that's about four times. Oh yeah, if you use a magic wand too much in in, in, in one setting, it can make you go numb. Yeah, so you you want to limit yourself to, you know, 5, 10, I don't know, 15 minutes, if you can hang that. If you can hang tough with that, 15 <laughs> minutes is awesome because um, the ladies enjoy multiples, and I had four orgasms once with my, with my Hitachi Magic Wand in, like, 20 minutes. That's a good way to exercise all the muscles. Yeah. It was crazy. Yes, mm-hmm. it it can do an, a normal vibe lamp, but if you you have to buy something that you attach to the cord. Um, no, that actually that isn't my record attempt. Record. My record actually happened with a man, not a a device. Um, I once came ten times in one night. Okay. But there was some um, stuff involved in that equipment that wasn't, you know, um, there was a flogger. <laughs> hey, whatever works. <laughs> there was some bondage in the flogger. Someone mentioned earlier about S&M, and I missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I missed the question. So if you're still in the chat room, if you want to ask that question again. Um, yeah, I was severely dehydrated. Uh, but, yes, you, Get the essentials controller because it will allow you to moderate the vibration of the magic wand. And once you've had a magic wand, you will never go back to a battery-operated vibrator. Not willingly, anyway. Anyway, um, 
I don't know what that. There was an S and M question earlier. I just don't know what it was. I remember seeing it. Yeah, there. I don't but remember. I didn't read I didn't it completely. But, <clears throat> um, I've not wandered through the S and M thing, uh, mainly because most of the, the um, partners I've had haven't been comfortable with it, and so. I'm not, I wasn't going to push. And so at this point, for me, it's um, whatever, whatever my amount of it I get, it's fun. And someone, said, someone mentioned earlier about her husband being that good that she didn't need a sex toy. Is that Congratulations for you. Well, my husband is awesome. I mean, the sex, I don't, um, sex toys aren't, um, for me, they're not a replacement for a man. They're an augmentation for sex. Mm-hmm. It's an accessory. Um, I'm not the only one who uses my magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> Go for you. I think the real problem, okay, opinion on the S&M that was depicted in romance novels before and now, are you asking me the depictions of S&M before and after Fifty Shades of Grey? Because there is a difference. Oh, majorly. I think I think that um, there's a uh, – I had a terrible experience in the theater today because before Lucy, they actually showed a preview for Fifty Shades of Grey. And I went, oh, I'm my so God, sorry. just stab me now. Just stab me. And my husband's patting me like I'm, like I'm in mourning. It was just oh, it was terrible. Anyway, um, <laughs> the real danger with S&M fiction, especially like Fifty Shades of Grey, where the characters don't – I did not like Lucy, Sybil um, – when they don't um, practice safe, sane, and consensual BDSM, it leads to abuses in fiction that get normalized. When you and, and this is true across the board, not just with S and M. If you picked up a romance novel written in the eighties. You would want oh to rip golly. the hero out of it and set him on fire. I cannot tell you how many books I think about where the hero decides for the woman when they're going to have sex. Oh, well, of course you want to have sex with me. You don't know what you want. Mm-hmm. So what the, happens the, frankly, the is, is a really popular book influences the way books in that genre are are written for a long time. And it can be good or it can be super bad. I think that in some ways Twilight was extremely detrimental um, to YA fiction in the way that it describes Bella as this willing, weak, 
victim. And that translates into Fifty Shades of Grey, which is fan fiction of Twilight. And I forget the girl's name in that. What's the girl's name in Fifty Shades of Grey? I don't know. I never paid attention to her, so. I don't know. Anyway, she enters into a relationship where she has no power. None. And it's such a ridiculous Anastasia Steele, yes. It's such a ridiculous idiot me brainless is Sina's choice, okay. Um it's such a ridiculous situation in its portrayal because anybody who truly understands a relationship between a dom and a submissive knows that the power in the relationship belongs to the submissive. But the problem when is it's, when it's not when it's not portrayed that way, it creates an abusive situation, and then it's seen as normalized. It's normalized. Mm-hmm. So you see all these young girls reading Fifty Shades of Grey or Twilight, and they're being indoctrined into the idea that it's sexy to be controlled by a man against your will. Oh, you want this. You just don't know you want it. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. There's a line in my unspeakable plot where Remus is giving the boys of Hogwarts the sex talk. Oh, and yeah, one of them says, what if she doesn't know what she wants? And Remus responds, I've never met a woman or a girl <laughs> over the age of eight or nine or whatever who doesn't know exactly what they want at any given moment and that uh-huh. you don't have the right to decide for them what they want. Um, but what happens in the book like Fifty Shades of Grey is that this male character, um, Christian Grey, is deciding what anesthesia, um, anesthesia, anesthesia, we're going to go with anesthesia. We're, anesthesia works just fine. <laughs> anesthesia. So, so Grey has decided what anesthesia wants um, for her. And she's not getting any sort of, the power exchange is zero. The power exchange is zero. And when you market that as a romance, as a something to aspire to, you are creating a situation where there are young women out there who think that's perfectly normal in the lifestyle for, oh, God, I want to stab somebody. Every time I think about it. Mm-hmm. Let's not have you stab anybody, please. It gets messy. And these are recorded anyhow. The the thing that, that bothers me about it is the person who wrote it and the various people who read it never bothered, to, it seems, to find the whole thing of safe, sane, and consensual. That was something yeah. that wasn't... Um, wasn't considered, wasn't wasn't even brought into consideration. And, I mean, not my scene for for what I do normally, but the safe, sane, and consensual thing years ago because, um, well, a good number of, uh, of, of my friends at one point actually worked at that porn store I took my mother to. And mm-hmm. so, I mean... 
you think the people of Walmart are freaky at 2 a.m.? The people of porn stores are even worse at 2 a.m. And some of the people who wandered through, um, I couldn't ask them the questions, but I could ask my friends. And so there was a female dom who wandered in with her pet, and I looked at them, and I looked at my friend, and I said, you're, you're answering questions when they leave. And he explained. So, you know, that I learned very young what it was. And it's, it's kind of horrific that there's generations now of people who, if they read this and use this as their only introduction to this particular subset of human sexuality, all they're going to learn is the horrific portion of it, not the portion that says Which is that, that it's fun. Subs are supposed to be doormats and doms are supposed to be abusers. Yeah, and that's that's not the right that's not the right lesson to learn. And it's it's there's no other um no other way of it than you know uh Chris mentioned something in the chat room about a news story. It's it's already uh, having um having an effect on people because somebody apparently got a woman to meet him up with him by having a 50 shades of gray meeting thing. I didn't read the whole news story, but yeah, you know, didn't he um, almost kill her? Yeah. I did something to her. Yeah. Here's the thing. And I said it before in my chat about, um, ties that bind, uh, don't have BDSM sex with somebody you don't know their mother. And you got to know them for 10 years. It's better if you know their grandma, too. Uh-huh. Just in case. Just in case. Just to put that out there, you know. Because in a relationship where someone, you don't take control from somebody. It is given to you. And if you have to take it, you're not dominating somebody being somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's what it boils down to. Whether it's emotional or physical rape, it is still rape. When you have to take because it isn't being given. And that's you're, you're a rapist. Know, yes. And that's one of the things that you actually brought up with Jordan and how he reacted or how, you know, he he was treating um, the people who should have been safe with him. You know, he he was supposed to be, given what his, his culture had trained him to be, he was supposed to be some somebody who they could be safe with. And the fact that he absolutely positively was not somebody like that you know that's um you know it's 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 not good so oh let's find something else to talk about if this movie does not flop this is my final word on this if this movie is not a complete flop my faith in humanity will never ever be restored. Ever. 
the problem is it's going to um, it's going to do quite well because unfortunately there's the whole titillation thing and people are going to to go and see because we we all know what it is and they're going to go see the actors um, acting out scenes that are not the normal um, scenes that you would get in a movie, well, at least not here in the States, okay? They want to be shocked, but that's why they read They they mm -hmm. want to be shocked, and that's why they'll go see it. And someone's asked me if I have faith in humanity. No, not currently. If this movie is successful, it will never be restored, ever. It will be completely destroyed. Right now, it's just taking a nap. My faith is taking a nap. But if Fifty Shades of Grey is the number one movie, it will die. My faith in humanity will die. Actually, right now, my faith in humanity, I, I have faith that humanity is going to piss me off so bad I can, I'm going to be shaking. Uh, that's about my faith in humanity. So, I can only hope and, and, that the shock culture who wants it will go the first weekend and see it, and then they'll tell everybody how bad it is, and it will go away. It will mm-hmm. disappear. That's my hope, but I don't have any faith in that because, like everybody's saying in the chat room, Twilight didn't flop. Nope, it didn't. And so, you know, it it actually is probably going to do quite well for a while. And, you know, it's... um, If it doesn't, I mean, it, it will probably do decently in the theaters, and then it's going to do really good when people can take it home and do questionable things as this thing plays. Um, completely leaving this behind because, you know, it's starting to make me thrilled. Um, I don't remember. Did you see the information about Dragon Riders of Pern? I did. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. It's um, It's going to be... It's going to be interesting. Someone's trying to develop Dragon Riders of Pern into a movie. Um, yeah. At least they've, they're exploring the rights for that. Warner Brothers is. I don't know, um, number one, that I buy it, that it's actually going to happen. Number two, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I trust them with the, with the um, execution. And number mm-hmm. three, I can only hope that her asshole son isn't involved. Oh, me too. Same, same. Um, I'm actually kind of hoping they can grab, uh, and I, I, I highly doubt he'll do it, but it would be really great if Jackson could get involved with that because then we'd know at least be, you know, somebody would, who gives a shit about science fiction and fantasy and, you know, the whole, well, Dragon's Done Right would actually have a chance at it. Echo's asking about her asshole son. Um, Anne McCaffrey's son is a homophobic twat. At least. And blue and green writers are quite, quite gay. And the bronze and brown are just opportunistic bastards. Um, and it's... Uh, I stopped reading after he started um, writing right. because it, it got very uncomfortable to read. Because it's extremely homophobic. Yeah. And which is, which is a very horrifically least. depressing. Yeah, it's depressing because um, when Anne started writing these, these were in the 60s, and, and, you know, it was 
it was very, um, it was only mentioned around the edges in, in the first books, but they were very um, blunt about it later on. And it was very much a, um, a fairly healthy view of, of, you know, homosexual relationship, at least in print. Cinnamon, you still don't know what the name of the first book is. For the Dragon Riders of Pern, it would be Dragon Quest or Dragon Flight? I think it's Dragon Quest. Okay, Dragon Quest. So Dragon Quest, Dragon Flight, the White Dragon, and then um, then there's the, the, the Harper Hall trilogy. Let's put it this way. The... The Dragon Riders of Pern is a space opera that traverses 2,500 years of history on a world that's not ours. And it's really cool. Um, if you're asking about the Honor Harrington books, Angelina Jolie. Done. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Huh. Yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of Angela and Jolie, we can talk about Maleficent. Oh, yes, love that that movie. Maleficent was beautiful. It was beautiful Mm -hmm. because it was about betrayal and revenge and forgiveness and um, coming out on top. And, and and female empowerment so. and and female love. It, it, it was just, mm-hmm. it was amazing. It was amazing. It when there's a scene, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. But there's a scene Senator when when Maleficent it. when Maleficent is betrayed. Um, it is um, it is horrific. It's horrific. It's it's done off scene, and then when you come back to her mm-hmm. reaction, it's like she's yeah. a rape victim. She it, it's she like you raped her. That's what she was. He did, and it's um. She gets her own back. She, in, in all the best ways, lives well and and comes out on top, and she does not let that event define her, at least not fully. And that, I think, is, is actually She lashes out in revenge, and, and you understand it. You understand her revenge. Uh-huh. My, my favorite line in the whole movie, though, is when she's looking down at baby Aurora, and she tells her she hates her, I hate you. It's yes. my favorite. It's my favorite part of the whole Shoot movie. Beastie. I hate yes. you. I hate you, Beastie. Yes. It, it's just, it's, um... But it's really interesting, and especially in the end when the prince is like, I'm not sure I should be kissing her. He's pointing out that, duh, he doesn't even know this girl. He shouldn't be kissing her while yes. he's asleep. That's just creepy, right? Yes. And so it's it's really good, and I really recommend it. It's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. I've seen it twice. My nieces are addicted. They've already put it on their Christmas list. I just hope it's out on DVD by that time. Um, I hope it's not on DVD by that time, too, because I want it, you know. That's because they they want it. it for Christmas. Um, they've asked for it mm-hmm. in Blu-ray. Uh, 
<laughs> so they're they're very um, they're very interested in in seeing in, uh, in in owning it and, and watching it over and over and over again. Um, but it is amazing. Um, Maleficent is an amazing movie. They have to. There are parts of it where you where you realize that they're kind of been enslaved to the original fairy tale, the the, the, uh-huh. the things they have to do to make it what it is, and and you see that, and you see their story built around this um, kind of insane plot, and it works, and it's beautiful, and it's um, it's Angelina Jolie is a powerhouse in that movie. It is amazing. November fourth, it's going to be available, totally, available on Amazon one click November fourth. I totally recommend it. I'll be buying it for my nieces for Christmas. <laughs> yep. So yeah, but I I absolutely I I, I totally recommend it. I, I do. It's it's a fantastic movie. Um, we're down to a minute and forty one seconds. And for um, having no topic, I, I I I managed to talk for two hours. I don't even know how I'm going to put this description. I don't even know. I'm just. Uh. <laughs> I need to have the, some the, structure. I need to have some structure, goddammit. Okay. Anyways. File, file it under the bitching thing. I mean, because that's pretty much what we do. Random shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Malik. That's definitely what I'm calling it. Random shit. Yes. With a side order. Toys of and bitching. Toys. No, that's terrible. Toys and tiaras. <laughs> tiaras. Oh, God. <laughs> From Walmart to Dragons. There's no telling who would end up listening to it if I did with, that. With a pit. Yeah, with the pit stop at sex toys. Can't forget that. Walmart dragons and the magic wand, oh my. On that note, <laughs> you guys have a great evening, a great weekend, and I'll see you guys in chat. Okay. Shut up and sit down. Can't wait for summer? Old Navy's huge summer sale starts now. All jeans, all tees, all dresses, and all shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Shorts from $12 for adults, $7 for kids. Buy online and pick up in-store for free today. All jeans, tees, dresses, and shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 5-6 to 5-12. Excludes in-store clearance. Active, licensed, men's packaged, and flag tees.